This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all? To feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. So we were a bit like sort of say forecasters where 100 years ago where we might have a general idea which way the wind is blowing at a few points you know, uh, along the coast. And so we could make a general prediction that, you know, the wind will probably still keep blowing that way tomorrow. But to make a detailed forecast of what will happen even a few days later is just, it's beyond our uh, abilities at the moment just because we cannot measure the magnetic field accurately enough at the edge of the outer core to, to understand exactly how the liquid's flowing. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello and welcome to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Daniel Bennett, the editor of BBC Science Focus magazine. The magnetic pole is not a fixed spot. Before 1990, the pole was wandering around northern Canada moving at a relatively sedate pace of 5 kilometres per year. But then, suddenly, it began to accelerate. Fast forward to today, and now the magnetic North Pole is surging towards Siberia at a blistering 50 kilometres per year. That's so fast that the map of the Earth's magnetic field produced by the British Geological Survey and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration had to be updated this January a year earlier than anticipated. In this episode, Dr. Kieran Began, geophysicist at the British Geological Survey in Edinburgh, talks to our online assistant, Sarah Rigby, about why the Earth's magnetic field is changing and what that means for you and me and what we can expect in the future. But before we begin, I just wanted to let you know about a seismic shift of our own. Those of you listening closely might have noticed that we've changed the name of the magazine from BBC Focus to BBC Science Focus. The magazine will still feature the same blend of new ideas and discoveries that you know and love. But we've also added a new section called Reality Check, which takes a deeper look at the science behind the headlines. So if you'd like to try out a free issue of the all-new BBC Science Focus, visit www.sciencefocus.com forward slash free issue podcast to view a copy online. And now over to Sarah talking to Dr. Kieran Began. So the magnetic North Pole um, has been moving and it's been accelerating. So why is it moving so quickly and why is it moving at all? So the magnetic field is um, created by the liquid outer core. and That starts about halfway to the centre of the Earth. The liquid outer core is made mostly of um, 
iron and nickel. And although it's under a huge pressure from the rock above, it's actually very hot around about 3000 degrees centigrade. So because of that, the liquid is actually very runny and it's uh, as liquidy as water is on the surface of the earth. So you've got this very large convecting layer of uh, liquid metal. And as it, as it moves, it creates the magnetic field, but it also drags the magnetic field with it. So at the surface of the Earth, on average, the magnetic field moves maybe 20 kilometers or so per year, mostly in a westward direction. But that does vary across the world. Now, the reason the magnetic North Pole is moving is because we think just at this very high latitudes up around kind of northern Canada, a very fast jet of liquid has formed a sort of jet stream and it's pushing the magnetic field uh, just in this area particularly rapidly. Um, if you look back at how the magnetic pole, magnetic north pole has moved in the last 100 years or so, you'll see that during the, um, the 20th century, so from sort of 1900 to sort of 1990, the average rate of change of the pole's position was about 5 to 10 kilometers per year. And then the 1990s has suddenly started accelerating up to about 50 kilometers per year. And at the moment, it's moving between 50 or 60 kilometers per year. So that, that's quite a lot. Um, so how is that going to affect the average person? So the average person uses the magnetic field in their mobile phone, in their smart map application or in their in-car navigation system. And uh, they, they use maps that the British Geological Survey and, and uh, NOAA, the National Oceanographic Administration, uh, make in, in the US. And the maps we make every five years make a prediction about how the field will change in the following five years. So the last one was released in 2015. The next one should have been released in 2020. But because the magnetic North Pole had moved just a bit further than we expected it to, uh, by 2018, the map was sort of out of date. So we were asked to update the map, mainly because the North Magnetic Pole has moved so much uh, more rapidly than we expected. Now, for the average user, unless you're planning to traipse around the uh, Arctic uh, in Canada or Siberia, you wouldn't really notice the difference uh, because the magnetic field maps that we make for lower latitudes below sort of the latitude of Scotland, say, uh, are actually fairly decent and they're not too much in error. But, but the ones on the high Arctic are out of error, basically, because the magnetic field moves much more rapidly than we expected. So the average uh, user, you know, your digital compass in your smartphone is only really accurate to a degree or two. And the differences between our latest update of the map uh, and, and the previous update of the map for um, most people will only be a fraction of a degree, actually. So there's not, not much impact on most users. So I read that um, we use the position of the magnetic north on our smartphones to determine which way we're facing. So when, when you're on a smartphone app and it shows you you're facing this way down this road, it uses the magnetic north pole to determine that. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, when when you open your smartphone map, it, it's orientated towards geographic north. Um, but your phone uses it's a little digital compass. It's got a little digital compass, um, you know, tiny little thing, um, a few millimeters across, and that detects the direction of the magnetic north. And using the location of your phone from GPS or um, from the nearest um, mobile phone tower, uh, the application uses the map that the British Geological Survey have computed to work out what the difference between magnetic north and true north is at your location. And then it rotates the map without you knowing into the correct orientation. And then as you turn around, uh, the map you, it uses the digital compass to figure out what direction you're 
orientated in and then orientates the map um, as you're using it into the correct direction. So in, in the UK, the difference between true north and magnetic north, that angle, is about one degree or two degrees. So it's not very much. But if you're in, say, California, it could be 15 degrees. Or if you're in South America, it can be up to 25 or 30 degrees in places. Okay, so the amount that the mag- uh, magnetic north is moving is is not enough to really affect that. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's correct. So anywhere sort of south of Greenland, yeah, it's not really a big deal. Okay, so who does use these maps and who does need to keep up to date with it in high precision? Uh, so one of the main users um, is uh, pe- uh, people who fly aircraft over those regions. So um, most aircraft uh, maps are actually still orientated in magnetic coordinates for historical reasons. So the, these maps are quite important for aircraft, say, flying from London to San Francisco. They fly quite high up over the, the northern Arctic. Um, so the, the plane would be navigating on magnetic coordinates. So, so it makes a difference for those. I mean, what would happen is the plane would maybe drift from maybe a few tens of kilometers out of where it should be. But I mean, that would be correct anyway by GPS. So that would become an economic saving. The people who um, mainly use it are the UK and the US military. So they, they use it for, you know, um, their navigation systems in submarines and aircraft and so on. Uh, and also for, um, you know, working out which way they're pointing and so on. Um, I read that um, the names of certain um, airports is affected by this. Is that correct? Yeah. So so again, this goes back to uh, historically, runways are always marked in magnetic coordinates. So runways in the high Arctic, you know, if they're facing kind of east-west, they'll be labelled 90 uh, um, to 70 because that's the kind of orientation and magnetic coordinates. But if... uh, as the magnetic field moves away from the high Arctic uh, rapidly, then then those runways have to be repainted with the new coordinate system, um, and and that presumably costs them kind of money and adds to confusion if uh, they have to change it every five years rather than you know in the past they would only change it maybe every couple of decades. Okay, so why would they use the magnetic coordinates as opposed to coordinates in relation to the the geographical? Uh, well, again, it's historic. So, I mean, it comes from the time, you know, back in the before GPS was kind of common in the 1990s that, uh, you know, um, airplanes used to fly using um, dead reckoning. So, you know, you take off and you fly uh, a certain distance on a certain compass bearing for a few hundred miles and then you'd sort of take a left and fly another few hundred miles at a different compass bearing. So um, airplanes are set up to kind of fly in magnetic coordinates. Um, but you, since the advent of GPS, of course, that's not, not necessary anymore, but it's sort of a historical hangover. And I guess in the next few decades, it'll probably disappear entirely, the use of magnetic coordinates. So how do we know that the magnetic north is changing? How do, how do we measure this? So in the past, um, up until the kind of 1990s, early noughties, um, there were around about 200 observatories, geomagnetic observatories around the world. And they were in mostly in the Northern Hemisphere, mostly kind of around Europe and then a few kind of scattered around the world. These are places where we just measured the magnetic field continuously. But since 2000, um, there have been a number of satellites that have been launched into low Earth orbit. So they go up to about 400 kilometers and they just fly around just continuously measuring the magnetic field and its direction. Uh, and the latest bunch uh, is a trio of satellites from uh, the European Space Agency called SWARM. And they're very, very high uh, precision, very, very accurate satellites. Uh, and they're built specifically just to measure the magnetic field of the Earth. And because there's three of them, we're getting huge volume of data over the last five years or so. And that allows us to, first of all, make better maps of the magnetic field. And also we can now, with kind of advances in computing and 
disk storage. We can now make these maps every six months or so, and we can see how the field is changing, uh, you know, much more rapidly than we used to be able to do in the past. So, so it's really this volume of data from satellite missions, uh, along with improved computing and uh, and you know more disk space and, and uh, the internet and so on that allows data to be transferred much more rapidly. That's allowed us to um, make these maps much better and also to kind of find that the magnetic north pole is actually moving more rapidly than we expected. Um, it sounds like there's also a lot of historical data of, um, about this as well. So, you know, before we started um, mapping the magnetic field so much, how, you know, historically did we measure this? Um, so it's been used... Um, for ship navigation for you know hundreds of years and we've got ships records logs and log books going back to the 1590s or maybe even a bit earlier um and you can use those to work out where the magnetic north was by um by looking at all the measurements back in the past it gets gets a bit more blurry as you go back further in time because there are fewer measurements and then they're sort of not as widely distributed around the world as say satellite data are um but that tells us that you know from the 1500s onwards actually the magnetic fields um, more north pole in particular kind of wandered around canada um more or less in a sort of erratic zigzaggy manner and it really wasn't until the, the 1900s that it actually started moving westwards towards siberia and sort of been accelerating that way for the last 30 years or so okay so we can look at how people used to use compass coordinates and figure out where they were trying to get to and where they were pointing yeah, so the, the idea originally was um, from Edmund Halley of Comet fame. They were looking for a way to sort of solve the so-called longitude problems, which is where they were they knew how to measure latitude, which is your, your sort of uh, position on the sun, uh, position on the Earth between, say, the equator and the North Pole by looking at the um, height of the sun, the sky. Um, but to measure longitude, which is sort of your position east or west of, say, Greenwich, um, that was much more difficult. So one of the ways they thought they could do it was by looking at the variation in the angle of the magnetic field between true north and, and magnetic north, that's called declination. So in 1699, Edmund Halley went out in the ship and surveyed the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, he came back and then drew up these maps, the original kind of maps of the magnetic field. And he went back out again. He, he looked again. He realized that actually the the angle had changed um, and it changed so quickly that his maps were basically out of date after five or ten years. They couldn't be used for determining longitude. So he, he made the most amazing leap, which is that he thought, oh, how, how is that the magnetic field is changing? And he suggested there must be a layer of liquid somewhere within the Earth that was causing the magnetic field to move. So he was the first person to assume or dream of the idea of, a, of an outer core. And that, that wasn't confirmed until um, 1906, actually, by seismological data. Did Edmund Halley have a, a good grasp of where magnetism comes from? Um, no, no. Um, at the time, they still assumed that magnetism was, was fixed um, into, you know, the rocks or, or some sort of liquid layer. And they assumed it was just like magnets you get in your fridge or, or your little compass needles. Um, so, no, he, he didn't uh, know that there was a liquid layer, but he, he suggested it was the most kind of obvious way to solve the problem of the fact that the magnetic field changed continuously. Oh, I see. Looking forwards into the future, what can we expect in terms of this magnetic north movement? Do we think it's going to carry on accelerating or do we think it might sort of steady out? Oh, we have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this is, if you look at longer records, um, and it gets kind of 
less certain as you go back in the past. So you can look at archaeological records, uh, or you can look at um, records from muds in the bottom of the seafloor. So as a particle, generally a magnetic particle, piece of iron or something, falls to the water and lands on the seafloor and say the deeper part of the ocean, it actually sort of aligns itself with the magnetic field of the Earth. So you can sort of drill a borehole and sort of pull out these uh, cores of mud and, um, and, and sort of sand and dirt, and you can actually measure the direction of the magnetic field going back tens of thousands of years quite accurately. So it, it just looks like the natural behavior of the field. It just sort of moves back and forward all the time um, over the course of centuries. Um, sometimes it stops for a while, sometimes it keeps going back and forward. And because the it's to do with the flow of the outer core, and because the outer core is so far away, we can't really sort of figure out uh, exactly what the detailed um, flow of the outer core is. So we're, we're a bit like sort of, say, forecasters where 100 years ago, where we might have a general idea which way the wind is blowing at a few points, you know, uh, along the coast. And so we could make a general prediction that, you know, the wind will probably still keep blowing that way tomorrow. But to make a detailed forecast of what will happen even a few days later is just it's beyond our uh, abilities at the moment just because we cannot measure the magnetic field accurately enough at the edge of the outer core to, to understand exactly how the liquid's flowing. So if this continues to to shift around um, or even continues to accelerate, is there any point at which the the general public need to start worrying about this? Well, I mean, there have been reversals of the field in the past uh, many, many times, and that's where the magnetic North Pole and the magnetic South Pole sort of uh, switch over. But again, you have to look back at the last one of these reversals was about 780,000 years ago. Um, so there are no modern records of these kind of reversals. So you have to look at lava flows because as, as a volcano erupts, it just sort of traps a record of the magnetic field within the, the lava flows uh, when they cool down. And so you can look at piles of lava flows and, and see how the magnetic field has changed. Um, and, and again, it's very uncertain as to exactly how the magnetic field uh, reverses, but it looks like mostly it takes between three to five thousand years, sometimes less, sometimes more. Um, but what happens is the magnetic north and magnetic south pole disappear for maybe a few thousand years, and what happens is you get lots of small little magnetic poles appearing across the surface of the Earth, sort of like you know spots on a face. And all that happens is your compass would point to the nearest one of those rather than pointing north or south. Um, but again, it, it takes so long that, you know, in any one person's lifetime, it, they wouldn't really see too much change in the magnetic fields um, that would affect them. And, and things like satellites and, and so on that are susceptible to um, magnetic storms, for example, would, would have to be more heavily shielded, for example. But again, because this would change over, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, I'm sure technology would evolve to keep pace with it. So when that happened, when we lost our northern Mag and south magnetic poles, how would that affect our ability to navigate? Um, well, well I, I mean, it would be um, the case that, yes, you'd need more people like me to make your maps uh, up to date more more often. Um, so, yeah, you, you wouldn't, your compass wouldn't point north, basically. It would point to some particular direction uh, and, and that direction would vary where we went in the world. So, actually, it would make navigation very hard and we were just using a compass alone. Um, but, but you, you'd assume that GPS would be more or less unaffected um, by, by these kind of changes because uh, they, don't, they don't rely on magnetic fields. Um, GPS relies on radio waves to uh, give you your location on, on the surface of the Earth. So the 
auroras, they also tend to gravitate towards the um, magnetic north and south poles, don't they? Yeah, that's correct. So if um, as the north magnetic pole moves, yes, the aurora position of the auroras will, will move with it. Uh, the aurora tends to form a sort of large ring around the, the north and the south magnetic poles. Um, so yeah, the, the aurora will, will move as well. And if the field reversed entirely, then yes, what you'd have, to have is probably lots of local aurora and kind of in mid-latitudes and sort of low latitudes, wherever, wherever there was a, a sort of local magnetic pole, you'd probably get a, a ring of aurora around us, you know, when, when the, the magnetic field got active, um, because that's driven by the sun's magnetic field. I know there are certain animals that navigate by, um, or that we seem to think they navigate based on the Earth's magnetic field. Is the moving magnetic north going to affect them? Um well, presumably they'll be able to yeah, sense it. But, but again, it, the changes are so slow. I think over the lifetime of any given animal, they'd be able to adapt. Um, because it's, you know, uh, so things like whales, I believe, are, you know, navigate by magnetic field. Um, but, you know, if they swim back and forth the same place every year, the magnetic field will only have moved a small amount compared to where, where it was the last time around. So I think they, they would they would realise that and adapt their kind of mental map, I guess, to, to account for the change in the magnetic fields. Because, I mean, as I say, it changes all the time anyway, so the animals will have to do this one way or another. Okay, so this um, even 50 or 60 kilometres in a year won't make much of a difference for most animals? I, I don't think so. I mean, because uh, this will be right at the polar regions, so I, I doubt many whales actually swim under the ice cap. Not that I know that. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I think things like birds and so on, you know, they, they, if they got slightly lost, they, they navigate using landmarks, um, you know, hills and mountains and coastline, as well as uh, the magnetic field. So the magnetic field gets the most of the way there. And then they, they, they recognize a spot that they, they've seen before. And they go, oh, I'm slightly off. So they, they would correct for that the next time, I'm sure. Do we know of any particular significance about why it's moving in the particular direction that it's moving? Or is it just random? I think it's just random. It's just natural variation. I mean, you know, in a few decades' time, they start moving back the way it came, um, or or could kind of go in a large loop around the North geographic pole, for example. Um, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> it, just, yeah, it could just wander back and forward. Uh, yeah, it's currently unpredictable. We we don't know. And if humans wanted to do something about this, if we, if we wanted to try and sort of stop it and make it steady just to make our lives easier for whatever reason would we be able to do that uh no <laughs> <laughs> so um the outer core is about the size of mars and it's sort of it's 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 very large uh, it contains a vast amount of energy um you can imagine how much energy it requires to keep um a ball of like liquid iron and um nickel uh, kind of molten so we, the the energy is left over from the formation of the earth so the earth is still slowly cooling down from its formation four and a half billion years ago uh to try and affect it is just yeah we, we just you know we don't have enough energy uh, available to the human race to kind of do that um despite what films like the core from years <laughs> ago suggest uh, n- nuclear weapons would be just sort of like firecrackers you know in a in a hurricane it's just you know pointless <laughs> <laughs> okay so am I correct in thinking that the Earth's magnetic field is weakening? Uh, yes, it's been weakening for the past couple of hundred years. Um, so if you look back over 10,000 years, it's sort of coming back to the average strength that has been over the last 10,000 years. So it has the, the last 3,000 years has been actually kind of anomalously strong. 
Uh, and then sort of a few thousand years before that, it was kind of a bit weaker than it is nowadays. So again, it's just natural variation. It strengthens and weakens all the time. Um, just again, just due to the flow of the liquid outer core and um, and, and how the, the magnetic field is, is generated within the core. So it's just a function of that. Okay. How does the flow of the core make it stronger or weaker? Uh, so we're getting more technical detail now. So <laughs> the actual magnetic field is created by... Uh, it, there's a very large loop of electric current. So, you know, a magnetic field is generated by an electric, by flowing electricity uh, in the same way that, um, you know, um, we make it energy from the, um, uh, for the grid. So, we, so an energy, a generator is a magnet spinning and a spinning magnet creates an electric field. But then the opposite is true that an electric field creates a magnetic field. So within the core, there's a very large electric field going kind of, you can imagine, just sort of around the equatorial region. And, and that generates the magnetic field. But the fluid flow, in a very complicated way, uh, modifies the electric current. And then the electric current will get weaker or stronger, um, and particularly the bit we sort of detect on the surface um, because there's a large amount of magnetic field in the core itself that we just can't detect because it never leaks out. So as the uh, Earth's magnetic field gets gradually weaker, um, well, the the Earth's magnetic field provides us with a lot of of protection from space, doesn't it? So Mm. at what point would we need to start worrying as it gradually got weaker? Well, again, I think this is... um, uh, a sort of a, a bit of a myth. The the magnetic field protects the Earth's atmosphere over long periods of time, and over you know millions and billions of years, uh, and it stops the sun's magnetic field essentially eroding off to the upper bits of the atmosphere, um, because that's what's happened in Mars. So so Mars has no magnetic field, which is why its atmosphere was kind of mostly blown away. And of course, its gravity is weaker, so that that's two combined effects. Um, but on the Earth, because the magnetic field, when it reverses, doesn't actually disappear as such. It just gets a lot weaker than it currently is. Um, there's still a magnetic field, so that it still does deflect the solar wind and stops it eroding our atmosphere. Um, but for, in terms of cosmic rays and stuff like that, it's mostly the atmosphere that protects people on the ground, and certainly at sea level, from getting, say, a large dose of radiation. If you live somewhere high in a mountain like the Himalayas or in like Colorado or somewhere like that, you are exposed to more cosmic radiation anyway. Um, and uh, I presume a weakening magnetic field would probably give you a, a larger annual dose of cosmic rays than you get under strong field conditions. But um, but overall, there seems to be no relation between the changing and reversing of magnetic field and say, you know, mass extinctions and so on. Um, they're related to different effects. That was Dr. Kieran Began talking about the Earth's magnetic North Pole. In the latest issue of BBC Science Focus, the first featuring our brand new design, we explore the hidden power of the brain. We also look at what the oldest galaxies in the universe can teach us. We examine how leaders seem to fail upwards and introduce a new section called Reality Check. And as always, there's much, much more inside. And remember, if you like what you hear, then please rate, review and share with anybody you think might enjoy our podcast. You can also subscribe and leave us a review on your favourite podcast apps. Also, if there's anybody you'd like us to speak to or a topic you want us to cover, then let us know on Twitter, at Science Focus. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. 
Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Thank you.